Let's do a little thought experiment. It's the year 900, Common Era, and you have a cousin a few towns over who's getting married. You want to send them some money as a gift, but you don't want to pay to transport it because gold is really heavy and there's a good chance it'll get stolen by bandits or something like that because it's the year 900. So you go to an associate of yours and you tell him, hey, I want to send this money to my cousin a few towns over. Sounds good, they say. And you come up with a password which will be used to claim the funds. The next day, or as soon as word can travel from your town to your cousin's, be it by horse or bird or uh, runner, um, someone in your cousin's town receives a message from your associate. The message reads, pay out 100 gold coins to this guy's cousin. Your cousin will share the password with this person and then be dispersed the appropriate amount, you know, minus a small fee. What I'm describing is a simplified description of a Hawala transfer. Hawala is a type of informal funds transfer, or IFT. Your associate who sends the money out is your Hawaladar. And for the purposes of this explanation, we can call them Hawaladar A. In your cousin's town, there's another Hawaladar, Hawaladar B, who receives the order from A. Now, what's incredible about this system is that these Hawaladars have been processing what are effectively real-time payments for over a thousand years. You know, these are payments that move at the speed of information. What's interesting is that uh, these payments might not settle for days, months, or even years. You know, you might have noticed this. No money or anything of value at all actually moved between your town and your cousins. Hualadar A got some money from you, Hualadar B lost some money, gave some money to your cousin, and now the contract is entirely between them. You and your cousin are done. Hualadars are respected and well known for keeping track of their debits and credits without official records. They can hold on to these credits until it becomes convenient for them to call for payment, or even in some cases to just call in a favor. This is a practice known as reverse Hawala. And the way it works is Hawaladar A might pay to import some goods or even, you know, buy a flight for a client of Hawaladar B to settle a transaction that could have occurred, you know, months ago. It's even possible, though unlikely, that between two Hawaladars there is such a balanced back and forth flow of payments that there's little to no need for settling at all. It just balances out. But the informality and lack of official records also puts Hawala in a precarious legal position. Depending on who you ask, Hawala can be a lifeline for the underbanked, you know, women denied accounts, migrant laborers, the very remote or rejected from society, you know, or it can be a clandestine net of terrorists and corrupt officials and tax evaders and fugitives. The truth is that both exist. Hawala is fast, cheap, trustworthy, bureaucracy-free, and more or less anonymous. Don't take my word for it, though. I have here a quote from the OECD. Hawala remains a significant method for large numbers of businesses of all sizes and individuals to repatriate funds and purchase gold. It is favored because it usually costs less than moving funds through the banking system. It operates 24 hours per day and every day of the year. It's virtually completely reliable, and there is minimal paperwork required. That's from the OECD's report on money laundering typologies 1999 to 2000 
check it out. It's a real page turner. So there's this vast remittance network. It's, it's rely, entirely reliant on trust and honesty. So exposing your client's identity is understandably frowned upon. This is what makes Hawala attractive for those trying to avoid regulatory, legal, or even international repercussions. And for this reason, Hawala has been made illegal in many countries. In India, the punishment can be a hefty fine along with complete forfeiture of all assets involved and even jail time. But regulation is fraught as well. It's not easy to address these issues through regulation. And I have another quote here from Muhammad al-Korchi. This was from 2002 when El-Korchi was a senior economist for the Monetary and Exchange Affairs Department at the IMF. Since then, he's become the assistant director of the IMF. Um, This is kind of a long one. It's a little dry, but bear with me because he basically sums up the, the story on legislating Hawala. Where IFT, that's informal funds transfer, regulations are conceivable... There is agreement that overregulation and coercive measures will not be effective because they might push IFT businesses, including legitimate ones, further underground. The purpose of any approach is not to eliminate these systems, but to avoid their misuse. Against this background, policymakers tend to favor two options, which are already in force in some countries, registration or licensing of IFT systems. While these measures could deter illegal activities, they will not in isolation succeed in reducing the attractiveness of the Hawala system. As a matter of fact, as long as there are reasons for people to prefer such systems, they will continue to exist and even expand. If the formal banking sector intends to compete with the informal remittance business, it should focus on improving the quality of its service and reducing the fees charged. Therefore, a longer-term and sustained effort should be aimed at modernizing and liberalizing the formal financial sector with a view to addressing its inefficiencies and weaknesses. It's hard to argue with this logic, and also it's kind of the trend that I think finance has been on over the past 20 years, you know, with um, this big push to help serve the underbanked. One other thing we should know is the influence of bias in the actions taken regarding Hawala. It's not a coincidence that most materials of study on Hawala in English were published from, you know, the late 90s into the 2000s. Hawala is an Arabic word, and the network is especially prevalent in Muslim communities, though it is by no means exclusive to them. Uh, This does not mean it is never ever used by people with bad intentions, but, you know, bias only gets in the way of good decisions, legislative or otherwise. And Hawala is far from the only ITF that is being used in the world today. Anyway, that's my soapbox speech done with. What does this mean for you? Well, aside from being interesting, Hawala and other ITFs are absolutely something you need to be aware of if you want to get a clear picture of world finance. You might think they're antiquated, you might think nobody uses them, but they're probably still outperforming your payments business. Underbanked does not mean I'm an easy customer. It really means I make do. As Hawala has demonstrated, it sometimes means I make do better than you do. (laughs) So why would a client switch from Hawala to your service? That's the question you need to answer. Hope you all enjoyed the episode. Uh, We might be covering this topic again. I'd definitely love to cover ITFs a little more. It's a whole, um, you know, world into itself. 
Um, but yeah, don't hesitate to reach out on LinkedIn or contact us via our website at Alacrity. That's A-L-A-C-R-I-T-I.com. Uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn too. I'm Christian Hibbard, H-I-B-B-A-R-D. Shoot me a message if you want to talk. We're actually looking for interview guests. So if you have a message to share or something to plug or just love the sound of your own voice like me, please reach out. Links to all the sources for today's episode will be available in the description if you want to learn more. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. Thank you.